we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. We're going to talk about the cleansing uh, work, the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't normally talk uh, about these uh, issues. I start the gospel in uh, Genesis chapter 1. A lot of people, though, have baggage because they were taught a, a gospel that starts in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is where we sin, and it all goes very, very badly. And so there's a way of preaching to people that a lot of people grew up in that starts with, you're a very bad person. Um, and what I like to start with is Genesis 1, the beginning of the scripture that says, you were created as a very, very good person. And your very badness is a distortion of what you were created. And so sin isn't who you are. Sin is a distortion of who you are. And Jesus' work is a redemption or a restoration back to uh, who you were intended, originally intended to be. Uh, but a lot of people have baggage uh, of feeling like God hates them or God sees them as something bad or sees them as something evil. Uh, or maybe you had baggage in the past and when we talk this way, uh, that kind of brings it up. So I don't often talk about this. But the scripture is clear that there is a great and large uh, cosmic battle going on in which every person is on a side. And you are either on the side of Jesus and his redemptive work, or you are, to use the words of the scripture, an enemy of the cross. Uh, so God has people who are on his side, and God has enemies. And what's interesting is that God is actually working to redeem his enemies, not destroy his enemies. And so the war is different uh, than, than we would think. God's enemies are trying to destroy themselves, and God is trying to stop that from happening. So the war isn't over domination. The war is uh, to save people who are destroying themselves. So it's, it's not like a war that we normally experience. Normally we experience war like, I'll destroy you, you destroy me. Instead it's like, I'm going to stop you from destroying yourself, is the war that God is fighting. But to, to be clear and to be plain, um, there are people who are with God and there are people who are enemies of the cross. And so the Holy Spirit is working in that as a member of the Trinity. Uh, as to take a step back, in case you've missed previous weeks, we believe uh, that God is one and God is three. Uh, God des is described in the scripture or describes himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus was on earth, God the Son, uh, he said there is another coming, God the Holy Spirit, that will be even better than it was to have me here on earth. We often think, like, if I could just, if I was there and saw Jesus face to face, I would totally, that'd be enough proof. Like, I'd, I'd be totally down with it. And Jesus actually says, no, that wasn't. They killed me. It wasn't enough. You will have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will actually be better. It will be better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to just have Jesus. And so this great work of the Holy Spirit um, is uh, what we are talking about week to week to week in, in our service. So that you know, because I know summer's coming and you're going to be going away and you go camping, camping, which really means you drive a penthouse trailer behind your truck with a TV larger than the one in my house, and you camp, right? Which means like you have to stream your shows off your phone rather than be hooked up to cable. Um, camping, goodness sakes. If you are camping, uh, we're actually live streaming our services now. Uh, and you'll be able to check those things out. It's on right now, uh, like this is going out to the internet, right? And we have two viewers, my mom and my dad. 
No, I'm sure that it will be more popular. There are some worries that just no one will come to church anymore uh, because it'll be online, but there is a delay. So there is a chance that I will say something ridiculous and Anthony will go, whoa, nuh-uh, and so you won't catch that, right? So being here at the live thing, you get the full ridiculous experience. So, oh boy. <laughs> I'm going to put a lot of scripture on the screen this morning because we're going to go through bang, bang, bang. There's going to be a couple of lists, but I think it applies to the way our life works. And we're going to be reading a lot of scripture that a guy named Paul wrote, who's an apostle. Uh, he wrote most of the New Testament, and he tended to talk in lists. He tended to talk in lists. And he would say, uh, this is what evil is, list, bang, 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 bang. This is what good is, bang, bang. Instead of doing like a scientific uh, description of it, he would just give you a list and figure that you understood what was going on when he said those things. Galatians 5.17 says this. Um, it'll be on the screen. It, says, it talks about the flesh, and the flesh is us. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It's kind of a theme verse for every generation, right? Uh, there is this war that is happening that I described, and we like to sometimes think of the war as being out there. But the scripture describes, this, mm, describes that war as being in here, that there's something about who we are that wants things that are contrary to the Holy Spirit. And there's something about who we are uh, that wants to be in line with the Holy Spirit. And the war that's happening is inside of us. And so the work of the Holy Spirit actually works inside of that war or inside of us, inside of that conflict. So that the, while the Scripture describes this great battle, and you can read like in the book of Daniel, there are uh, St. Michael, the archangel of war, is actually warring against uh, the... Uh, angels uh, that have been cast out into hell that we describe as demons now, and they're actually fighting each other. And I don't understand the way that all works, uh, but we know that the space around us is full of angels, and the space around us is full of demons, and they're fighting against each other. Uh, we like to think about the one, but we don't like to think about the other. But that fight, while it's cosmic, is actually won or lost inside of us. And so the book of Galatians, which was written by Paul, two people who lived in Galatia, uh, actually describes to the people who are very early Christians, the war isn't like something we're going to dominate those people or we're going to dominate culture or we're going to dominate uh, some realm, business or education or politics. We're actually trying to uh, develop ourselves and win the war within ourselves and then the consequence of winning the war within ourselves pours out into the world around us. Um, I'm going to put this down and stop looking up. So here's, the Holy Spirit does three things primarily in this area. And the first is that the Holy Spirit convicts us. Uh, this is in John chapter 16. Huh. This is, old school Bibles use the word convict. We don't use that anymore because that's, I guess, not a word that, uh, like if you grew up with a Bible that was red around the edge, right? You would have the word convict in here. Uh, but it says, it uses different words now. Uh, when, the, when he comes, and the, he is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will prove to the world, and originally it said he will convict the world, uh, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong, in, uh, that the, sorry, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. Uh, three things that I think, if we think about the way the world works right now, that are very interesting. About sin, 
because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, righteousness is a Bible word for doing the right things with the right motivation. Uh, Sometimes we do the right thing, but we have a bad motivation. Sometimes we have the right motivation and we do the wrong thing. But, But when those things come together, righteousness. Because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Uh, referring to Satan or the devil. Um, the Holy Spirit convicts the world or proves to the world in these three areas. This is the first thing the Holy Spirit does. And if you're a note taker, this is like heaven for you. Uh, because it's like A and then sub point one, two, three, right? About sin... And sin exists in our world because people do not believe in God. And people might even say, I believe in God. But they do not believe in me, which is the person speaking in John chapter 16 is Jesus. And what you do with Jesus actually determines what you believe about God. When someone says, I believe in God, that's an easy thing to say in our, in our world, in our culture, right? We thank God when we get an award. But when we talk about Jesus and who Jesus is, was he virgin born? Did he actually die as a way of paying the penalty for sin? Did he actually fully bodily resurrect? If you say to someone, do you believe that Jesus is who Jesus said he was? That's a whole different thing. And Jesus said he was God. So if someone says, I believe in God, the real question is, what do you do with Jesus? Plus, other religions and other expressions of uh, faith the question that you can ask someone who's like, um, and these are like off branches of Christianity, like Mormonism, um, Jehovah Witness, Unitarian, uh, those are kind of left turns or right turns off of Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. You can ask, what do you do with Jesus? Because they will say, are, we have served the same God, and, and we might talk about that God the Father in the same kind of expression, but we believe God is Trinity, and that falls apart in a lot of other faith expressions, and who Jesus is falls apart in a lot of other faith expressions. So sin has its primary root in not believing in Jesus. And about righteousness, about what is right, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Not being around Jesus requires the Holy Spirit. This is like a pre-reference to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will convict us of what is right, and what the right motivation is in our world. Because we will, Jesus is saying, you will see and experience more and more complicated situations and things that we have not talked about or anticipated. And so you need the Holy Spirit in order to interact with those more complicated situations or more novel situations. And then about judgment. And we often think about judgment as being a scary thing, right? Like we should be afraid of God's judgment. But if you're a person who's been fully forgiven and put your full allegiance or your full faith in Jesus, then judgment is actually a celebration time. Because if Jesus has paid the full price for my sin, then at judgment, the only thing that's going to come up is the good things. And so judgment will be this list of good things in my life. And then God will say, let's move into the celebration because there's a whole list of good things here in my life. And this, the prince of this world standing condemned refers to the victory that's already been purchased by Jesus. And so there, the victory that we will experience at what the Bible calls glorification, meaning um, however you would see it happen, some people really like the rapture, right? Like there'll be a trumpet song and then we all disappear and then all the bad Christian, non-Christians are left here, right? And you're kind of nervous that that's you. Uh, I know 
I'm not down with that, but if you are, that is a way more fun thing to believe than my version. My version is so boring. Um, this is why I think Christians should wear belts, right? Like, there's, there's no evidence that, that you're flying through the air naked, right? Like, there's, that's kind of popular if you're around in the 80s. But if all of a sudden all the Christians go, whew, right, and you're into elastic waistbands, <laughs> I'm just saying, you don't want to show up into heaven like that. The next verse that talks about the Holy Spirit convicting, I'm going to go to, this is Acts 7.51, and I need to explain this. Uh, You stiff-necked people, (laughs) your hearts and ears are still, and this is uh, Stephen talking to a group of people who are Jewish, and to be Jewish means all the males are circumcised. And so he says, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, which you would say, yes, obviously. That's (laughs) metaphorical, all right? Uh, he says, you are just like your uh, ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. To have hearts and ears that are still uncircumcised means that they were, these Jewish leaders were following the letter of the law, but the way they listened and the way they felt and the way they thought the core of who they were was not in line with who God is, which is what we talked about just a second ago, being righteousness. They looked externally like everything was good, but on the inside, they were just following the rules so that they would be okay with God. There wasn't a relationship with God. There was a rules and regulationship. And Sorry, regulationship? That is a word I just made up. Someone write that down. Uh, there was a rules and regulations relationship with God. It's often like uh, you have rule, rules and regulations that determine you're driving, right? And when you're driving, if you don't follow them and you get pulled over, you don't say, I'm going to develop a relationship with the officer that pulled me over, right? There's, an, there's no relationship. I've been pulled over twice in Albany, and I did have a relationship twice with the guy who pulled me over, so once on my way to church. But um, Hickory is 25. I just need to remind you that. So <laughs> uh, I need to remind myself of that every time I drive on Hickory. But uh, there isn't Uh, the relationship changes the way that the rules are followed. If you have a relationship, you follow the rules out of appreciation, out of love, out of kindness. Many people who are patriotic follow the rules of their country because they want the best for their country because they love and they appreciate their country. Whereas other people will follow because they don't want to get in trouble. Does that make sense? And there's a different experience for both sets of people. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is convicts us of what is wrong and what is right, what is in actions and in motivations, in thinking about the future, in thinking about who God is, in thinking about the forgiveness of sins, and all of those things, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Then, the second thing the Holy Spirit does is, and this is a big like Christian word, is he uh, sanctifies. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. This is in 1 Corinthians 6.11, which is Paul writing a letter to people in Corinth. He says, and that is what some of you were, describing people who were far from God. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Other Bibles will say by the work of the Spirit of our God. And so your forgiveness, the washed, refers to as being pure or impure, being sin, being dirty, forgiveness, being clean, uh, and you were sanctified. And the word sanctified is actually important to us. It's actually important to us as a denomination. Not everybody uh, realizes this, but we don't believe that following God is just about getting a golden ticket. 
which is like, oh, I, I said a certain prayer at some point, or I wrote my name on a card, so I'm good, I'm going to heaven. We believe that following God is about a transformation of your heart so that the experience of your life is an experience of love towards all people in all places at all times. And we believe that that is actually possible. Like, people think that's just naive, like that's just pie-in-the-sky thinking that all the Christians are going to be loving, but we believe that the Holy Spirit is so powerful that he can make that change in our hearts and in our lives so that the Holy Spirit actually sanctifies us. And that word sanctify means set apart, but it's not an emphasis on what you're set apart from, but I say what you're set apart to. And so the people who follow God who are full of the Holy Spirit are actually set apart from the world, but they're set apart to God. So they're not just apart from the world in a random space, like I'm away from the world, meaning I'm different than the world, I have a different value set, a different experience, a different um, understanding of what reality is than the world, but you're separated in a specific direction towards God. So we don't just start communes and get out in the country and be physically separate from the world or, or set up like a, a separate structure with our own schools and our own radio stations and our own publishing and our own Christian movies. We can do all that. This stuff isn't, in, isn't bad, but that isn't the fulfillment of what the Scripture says to be sanctified. Uh, then in Titus, <clears throat> Titus 3.5, which is a letter Paul wrote to Titus, it says that he saved us, God saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So if you are a person who has put your full faith and trust in God, at some point, the Holy Spirit was working in you so that you turned your life from being your own to belonging to God. The Holy Spirit was actually working in you before you were a Christian so that you could be a Christian. The Holy Spirit actually isn't working everyone's life, pointing people and directing people in that way. So the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit sanctifies, then the Holy Spirit causes the growth of fruit, which is a metaphor. Um, and we'll go to the next verse, which is Galatians 5, uh, 19 to 26. This is another list by Paul. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And these are always fun parts of the Bible when you're in Sunday school as a kid because they put this in by accident and you get to ask all questions just about this part. Because there's going to be a, a list of bad things then contrast it with a list of good things. But when you're a kid, you want the Sunday school teacher to talk about this. What's debauchery? All right. Uh, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And so that you know, um, most like Christian, well, what does that really mean? Is about this list, not about the good things list. It's always like, well, how immoral is it? It's immoral. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, even hatred of the Golden State Warriors, jealousy, even jealousy of the Golden State Warriors, fits of rage, <laughs> which I wouldn't call a fit of rage. I would just say it was a fit of disappointment on Thursday. Uh, <laughs> selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In this culture, those were actually things that you had to write down. In our culture, you wouldn't think that you would need to write it down. 
But there are things in there that Christians practice on a regular basis. Envy and jealousy, dissensions and factions. We've mastered those things under the guise of some kind of theological passion. Uh, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Saying there's a choice, you can live this way, the outcome will not be positive. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and these are the things that you actually should focus on, love, joy, peace, I'm going to say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Older translations use the word patience, and that's how I memorized it, and so I will never change Against such things, there is no law. Uh, those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've given a violent death to the things that they want in favor of the things that the Spirit wants. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. But we push each other on towards these good things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. And the third thing that the Spirit does is produces these fruit in you. Meaning, for the Christian, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control are evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit, not evidence of you working harder at being Christian. You will say, well, I need to be more loving. I'm going to work really hard on being more loving. Loving is a result of the Holy Spirit working in you. I want to have more peace in my life, or I want to have more patience and more kindness. You don't just work harder and then have those things. The Holy Spirit works in you, and that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit expressing itself in your life. So when you see a Christian who is loving and patient and kind and good and has self-control and is faithful, it's not the evidence of them working hard at their faith. It's evidence of their yielding to the Holy Spirit in their hearts and saying the acts of the flesh are this over here and instead I'm going over here to the acts of the Holy Spirit and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit and then my life will have these results. We often want to go straight to the results and not go to the conviction and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Instead we want to just move straight into some kind of result-based uh, orientation of your life. How we yield to the Holy Spirit is called personal holiness. And how personal holiness works, uh, like how, what is our role in that personal holiness? Well, it's actually commanded by uh, the Scripture. Two different places. I'm just going to put one up here. This is 1 Peter 1.16. A guy named Peter, who was best friends with Jesus, wrote this. He said, it is written, be holy because I am holy. It is commanded in the scripture for you to be holy. And so for people who say, well, I just, I didn't sin today. <laughs> well, there's this one. And ah, oh, crap, you screwed that up by being a bragger, right? <laughs> when we read scripture, it is not be as holy as you can. It is be holy. And I even backed up because there's other scriptures and other translations that say, be perfect as I am perfect. And what we like to do is backtrack that scripture and explain, well, what he really means is try your best. No, trying your best is failure. Your command is perfection. 
holiness, which means we're all kind of screwed. <laughs> That's the end of my sermon. All right. <laughs> Here's how we lean into this, because we can't make ourselves perfect. We would all acknowledge that. We can't make ourselves holy. We would all acknowledge that. What we would do is lean into uh, the holiness that is impressed on us or given to us where everything about us that is unholy is taken away and God fills us with his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit is so powerful that it makes the unholy holy. It isn't blemished by our unholiness. It makes us holy. The first thing is uh, spiritual disciplines that promote the presence of God. Prayer, meditation, contemplation, reading your Bible, Christian influences, people and media uh, and interactions like movies and music and all those good things that uh, promote the presence of God. Spiritual disciplines that promote the presence of God increases your personal holiness. Second, practicing acts of goodness, holiness, justice, acts of love and compassion, uh, acts that are beautiful, that promotes your experience of holiness. Friendships that are beautiful and uplifting and loving. Your participation in a local church that is beautiful and uplifting. All of those things increase the ability of the Holy Spirit to make you holy, to sanctify you. So the first thing is spiritual, discipline, spiritual disciplines like prayer. The second thing is practicing acts of goodness and holiness and justice and beauty in community. The third thing is not uh, striving after holiness, but living in relationship with God in such a way that you receive holiness, which means being living in dependence on God. It's a, it's a weird thing for us, especially in Western society, because we value hard work and upward mobility and so what we see is Christians who say, I'm not going to work at all, which is not the correct expression. The correct expression is you still work hard, but it's God's work that produces the results. You could be the greatest church in the history of the world, but the results are up to God. The impact of a church on its community around it is a result of God working in the church, not the church working harder or being more busy or having a better strategy or more comfortable chairs. That personal holiness is a result of God working in us, yet we set up an environment where God can work best in us through prayer, through uh, acts like working things out and doing things, and through not striving or thinking we can manipulate God into doing things. In that... We live in this personal holiness, and then the result of that personal holiness is that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and then we move into something that I call redemptive holiness, meaning the holiness of the Christians spills out onto the community around it, and holiness isn't, like the Holy Spirit is never blemished by the sin of the community around it. So the world can continue to get more and more in line with the list of the acts of the flesh that I put on the screen. And that doesn't affect the holiness of the church. And it doesn't, ex ex it doesn't affect the impact that the church can have in holiness 
on the community around it. There are also, and I'm going to be like really clear about this, there are things that are so evil in our history and in our world and so organized and so such a terrible effect for such a long time that I don't believe that humans are able to think of that on their own. I believe that there are spiritual and demonic forces that influence and work through humans in order to achieve incredible evil. And so it's not enough just to come against that with a human power. Uh, it's, you must come against that with spiritual power. So the engagement with spiritual warfare, the engagement with the world around you in such a way that uh, you actually fight on a spiritual plane against organized and systemic injustice and evil, just being in a corner and praying is not enough. And just going out and doing some kind of social, or social activity is not enough. A protest is just a protest. And a prayer is just a prayer. But the engagement of those two things together actually enable us to participate in what the Bible calls spiritual warfare. We're going to put this on the screen. And I know this, sometimes people don't like to talk about this, but just uh, indulge God for a second. <laughs> this is Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote this, so it's another list. Uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. These are commands to Christians. Be strong in God's mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Sorry, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And this is all metaphorical, but there's an understanding to it. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. And then there's a description of the spiritual warfare. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. See, it's biblical to wear a belt. And the breastplate of righteousness in place. So we should have some kind of armor that we wear. <laughs> and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Can you go to the next slide, but then go back. And pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and, and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Can we go back now? Thank you. There is a description of getting dressed in the way that a centurion or a Roman soldier would get dressed that all the people who received this letter would understand. It would be a different metaphor today because we have different kinds of soldiers with different technology. But there is truth, there is righteousness, there's the gospel of peace, there's the faith, uh, the shield of faith, and there's the helmet of salvation and, and the word of God. So salvation, word of God, faith. Those are, and your use of those, are the actual weapons that are used in order to fight evil in our world. Specifically, the sword of the Spirit, which is a very offensive weapon. And the Scripture is offensive when you're engaging with the world. 
The best example of this and the easiest is when Jesus faced temptation. Right after his baptism, Jesus went into the desert and prayed and fasted. And then at the end of that, the devil himself appeared and tempted Jesus, which is an interesting thing. There's a good chance the devil's not omnipotent. And so when you're tempted or if there is evil that tempts you, if there is a demon or something, it's not the devil himself, right? Like it's a low-level underling. Like you're not even... Uh, like there are high-ranking demons. There's actually structure. You can go through this. and This might freak you out, but there's organization in uh, the devil's uh, army. Uh, and uh, um, your offense is probably a low-level guy. Like Satan himself is not tempting you, right? Like we're a small church in Albany, Oregon. We're safe from that. Um, <laughs> so it kind of gives you a little bit of authority. Like you're feeling tempted or you're feeling, you're like, really? Really, you're going to send this low-level nobody when I have the Holy Spirit of God in me, right? So it's like you can squash the evil because greater in you is the power, or greater is the power in you than the power in the world, and that's clear in Scripture. Even if it was the devil, the devil kind of sucks, and you can take over him. Um, that's the secret. Don't tell the devil, but he sucks. When, um, when we're talking about Jesus being tempted in the desert, Satan says, do this, do this, do this. Three things, temptations that would be sin. Jesus actually quotes scripture to him and when he quotes scripture he wins the fight it's the strangest thing like he just says scripture and the devil goes nah you're right like he just gives up the devil doesn't go oh but what about this oh but what about this and when we face temptation we say oh i don't want to do that the evil will say oh but what about this oh i don't want to oh but what about this this is the experience of adam and eve in the garden right the snake says, uh, who is Lucifer? Hey, why don't you eat this apple? Apple? Uh, I don't think we're supposed to. You know, we're not supposed to eat from this one. Ah, oh, come on, it's good for you. Okay, right? <laughs> if she quotes the words of God to Lucifer, fight over. And when we know the scripture and then quote the scripture, the fight is over. There's actually that much power in the actual word of God. The importance of knowing your Bible is so great that it is the offensive weapon in your fight against evil. It lets you know what is right and what is wrong. It lets you know what the future holds. It lets you know who you are, like who, what your identity is. And the scripture becomes uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All of these things are an actual description of your engagement as a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, your engagement with the spiritual realm that surrounds us. The Holy Spirit convicts us, sanctifies us, and the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us, which makes us holy, and our holiness pours out into the world, which makes the world holy. At the end of everything, the world is transformed into a place that God's presence exists fully. The description of the new heaven and new earth in the Bible says there's no lights. There actually is very likely that there won't be any need for a power source because there's no lights because the presence of God is so, so felt that it's just bright everywhere all the time. It's just an experience of being in light. This is where the world is headed. And knowing your scripture allows you to move the world in that direction.
So what do we do with this information? We don't just work harder. We don't just try to be better. Instead, we turn to our personal disciplines that invite the presence of God to experience the growing of spiritual fruit in our life. So you start measuring your Christianity not by, well, like I'd read my Bible app 10 days in a row and I get a badge in my app, or I did this, or I attended church, or I did this, you know, or I watched the live stream even though I was camping, right? The, you know, it's not a points-based system. Instead, you start looking at, am I more loving than I used to be? Am I more kind than I used to be? Is the Holy Spirit working in me? Then I'm doing the things that I ought to be doing. Do I use Scripture in my daily life in order to achieve the results that God wants to achieve in the world around me? So there's kind of two parts to this, I think, what are the next steps that we take this information. The Holy Spirit is at work, and the Holy Spirit cleanses us in order that we can produce fruit, which is goodness to our world, and then we engage the actual spiritual battle that's around us. You carry the same authority as Jesus. If you pledge your allegiance and put your faith in Jesus, you can use Scripture to make declarations which are true because all Scripture is true. You have the best, and in fact, the only weapon to combat evil in our world. And there is plenty of it. There is no shortage of evil for us to combat. And by following the scripture and knowing the scripture and using the scripture, you participate in that battle. So that you, at the end of everything, and you're standing before God, it's not like you're there with this fresh-faced somebody, but you're actually, you have more of the look of somebody who's been engaged with battle for a long time. And the appreciation and the experience of your life is a beautiful one because of the victory that your effort has produced because of the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Let me pray for us in that way, all right? Let's stand. God, I want to ask that you would produce fruit that is in line with yourself in each of us. We can't do this on our own. We can't produce this on our own. But I would pray over all of us here today in a very true way, that your Holy Spirit would be active in a way that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control in us. For those of us who are lacking in some of those areas, I would pray specifically for your forgiveness, for your Spirit to work into us towards repentance, and for us to obey you and move into the future that you have for us. And then, God, I would pray that you would put us on as, as close to the front lines of what you're doing in this world as possible. That our experience of life in you would be an experience of spiritual war that is already won because the prince of this world stands condemned. For those of us who are feeling tempted or those of us who are stuck in sin, it's a spiritual fight. It's not a fight that we can just discipline our way out of, but it's a spiritual fight. And so I would pray that your work in us and through us would produce a spiritual result so that we can see in us and we can see in our city, in our cities, in this valley, and then spread across the world through the work of Christians everywhere, that your spirit would be at work against the prince of this world that even now stands condemned. Thank you, Jesus, for your victory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence and your work.
May you continue to do so in us and through us. Amen.